0: So there you are. It is just one of those breathtaking, beautiful scenes. You're all alone, but, but surrounding you at this point, whether it's daytime or night, it, it's just gorgeous. You are surrounded by these, these, these pink oleanders that are just so lush that they even block uh, the, the, the stream that's kind of snaking its way uh, below you. As it turns night, you look up and you see, you see a starlit sky that is just glistening, glistening like diamonds. It is just a, a scene of tranquility. It is a portrait, a picture of peace. But the serenity of this scene that's all around you On all sides cannot match the turbulence that's going on on the inside of your heart you see tomorrow tomorrow you are going to be meeting your twin brother that you haven't seen for 20 years now that sounds like it should be an exciting thing right Except the last thing you remember your brother saying to you is, hey, when dad's dead, I'm going to kill you. And so you fled. And when you fled, your mom said to you, she said, she said, don't worry, I'll send word when your brother's not so angry with you so it's safe for you to come home. And word never came. And so you're wondering, has Esau really held a grudge for twenty years, and so you send some messengers ahead the day or two before, loaded down with gifts, maybe trying to buy your brother off, flatter him. Uh, but you're more important. More importantly, you're not so concerned about what you're giving him. You're you're looking forward the report back. and And what do your messengers tell you? They say, "Yep, he's coming, and he's coming with four hundred men." Not quite sure how you're going to handle that one, right? I mean, you, you've been an expert of weaseling your way out of everything in the past. You're a survivor. You've outwitted, you've outplayed, you've outlasted uh, everybody else. And, and, and I mean, you, in fact, your whole life you've been doing this, literally your whole life, because when you were born, you were the second twin born, but you were, you were grabbing the heel of your brother. And so that's why they called you Jacob, because you were always looking to trick and trick and trip people up. Nobody could ever get in the way of, of you getting, reaching your aspirations. I mean, you remember, you remember, you know, tricking or tripping your brother up when, when he had the special promise of the birthright was going to go to him because he was just a few minutes older than, than you. But when he came in from hunting one day and he was so famished and you were cooking stew and he said, Give me some of that stew. He said, Ah, for the, for the price of your birthright. He said, All right, give it to me. And you got it. Or you remember how you maybe ashamedly tricked your father. You took advantage of his, his blindness. And you tricked him into giving you the birthright, pretending to be your brother Esau. More recently, you, you schemed your way and you kind of snuck away from your Uncle Laban's ranch where you had been serving because you wanted to go back home. So you've, you've been a master of trickery. But this one, this one you're not so sure about. You're kind of stumped as you sit there on the riverbank in the middle of the night, restless. And you come up with, well, at least maybe I can keep my family safe. And so you, you rouse everybody up and you, you split them up into two groups and you, you start to hug them goodbye. You, you hug all of your sons, all 11 of them. And as you hug the eldest, Reuben, who's just entering his teenage years, you you put your arms around him and you wonder, man, am I going to be the guy who's around yet to teach this young man or this young boy how to become a man? And then you get down to little Joseph who's always had a soft spot in your heart and you look into his little brown eyes and you you see your reflection in his eyes and you wonder, is he ever going to see me again? And if he doesn't, will he even remember who I am? You hug your wife, goodbye, you kiss her goodbye, and you watch her go down the river bank. And then you're left all alone. Alone with your thoughts. What are you going to do? And, you know, it was the day before that you prayed, Lord, save me. Save me from my brother Esau, because I am afraid. And very likely you repeat that prayer at this time. You maybe even pray that the Lord would do what He did for you when you left your brother 20 years ago. Lord, you know, that was really awesome when He showed me that dream, when he, when he showed me that ladder that went all the way to heaven, and there you were at the top, and you said, Don't worry, Jacob, I'll be with you. But this night, you can't sleep, there's no dream. There's no vision of God or words of assurance saying, don't worry, I'll be with you. And so again, your mind is just racing as you're restless. When all of a sudden, boom, you get a forearm to the middle of the back. And and then he goes sprawling into the dirt in front of you. And and all of a sudden, this mystery figure is wrestling with you, rolling around in the dirt, not just for a little bit here or there, but all night long. And sometimes you've got him pinned down, and sometimes he has you pinned down. And you're going, you're wrestling all the way. Till daybreak, and so you are—you are now exhausted. You are exhausted mentally. You are exhausted emotionally, and now you're also exhausted physically. And as as daybreak just starts to, as the sun starts to peer over the horizon, all of a sudden he takes his fingers and he touches your hip and just wrenches your hip, as it dislocates your hip. And he says to you, "Let me go." What would you do? If someone could dislocate my hip with just by touching them with a few fingers, I'd say, okay, mercy, mercy. Let me go. I'll let you go. But Jacob doesn't. He holds on. He says, I'm not going to let you go. Because perhaps for the first time in his life, Jacob realizes that he's in a quandary, in a predicament, that he can't rely on his own wits or wisdom. And he needs someone more powerful than himself as he's about to face his brother tomorrow. And so he tells this mystery figure, whoever he is, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Until you bless me. And, and the mystery figure, you know, commends him. He commends him but he, he says, but the man asked him, "What is your name?" And there it is again. Jacob. When Jacob answers that, you know, I I think he's got to be thinking about what his name means. Yeah, I'm the tripper upper. Yeah, I'm the deceiver. Yeah, I'm the heel grabber. It's maybe more of a more of a confession at this time than it is just his identity. But the Lord commends him, or the mystery figure commends him. Because look what he says. He says, Then the man said, Your name your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And if you're Jacob, you're maybe cleaning out your ears. Did he just say, I... I struggled with God and you've got a lot of dirt in your ears because you've been wrestling in it all night long. And, and so you, you want to clarify, is this really God? And so you ask him, is, please tell me your name. And and the, the mystery figure doesn't answer, at least not with words, but he affirms with his actions. Then he blessed him. And we don't know exactly what that blessing is. I I'm rather convinced that it was the same blessing that he received 20 years ago. You're going to be a great nation. Savior's going to come through you. But regardless, whatever the blessing was, the, the mystery figure blessed Jacob. And then Jacob calls that place Peniel, which means it's because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. What a strange account, Right? What a strange thing that happened there on the river banks of the, the Jabbok River. So, so what, are, what are we supposed to learn from this, this rumble at the river? What are we supposed to, to take away? What's the so what of Genesis chapter 32? As is the case with so much of Scripture, uh, there are about these many lessons to grab from every section of God's Word. And I think the more we change, uh, as our situations change, maybe the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see something new or apply something new from each section. And so uh, today I'm going to suggest that we we walk away with this with three three lessons, but in no way am I suggesting these are the only three lessons. This is not an all-inclusive list. But as we look at these words and study these words from Genesis 32, I, I would say one of the first things for us to walk away with is this, that God, sometimes, God wrestles with us. God wrestles with us. Maybe not the same, and I, not even maybe, but not the same way that he wrestled with Jacob. I don't think any of us have been body slammed to the turf in the middle of the night like Jacob was. But there is a, an internal struggle sometimes that goes on with us and God, and, and there's value to that. Even there's value of wrestling with, with even between earthly fathers and their children. Not too long ago, I was reading a study, and, and many of you have re- read similar studies. Like, you know, I read every once in a while. I read psychology today to figure out how you guys think. And so uh, I was I was reading there, and it talked about the value of roughhousing and the the value of play, especially father to children. And it was talking about how it teaches things like resiliency and it teaches things about how, how you, you have a, a good, healthy understanding of boundaries and, and social intelligence and, and even morality and a whole list of other things that the experts list. The value of wrestling, of, of physical activity. Well, far, long before experts ever put a list in psychology today, our Heavenly Father also kn- knew the value of wrestling with his children or having his children wrestle with them. Because he knows, like, like Jacob, oftentimes we, we, we rely on our own merit. We rely on our own wits. We rely on our own wisdom, our own trickery. And so sometimes he has to get into a, a tussling match uh, with us. And like I said, it's not like what happened here on the, on the river bank, but you think of things that, that maybe have caused you to wrestle with God in your life. We talked a little bit about this in, in Bible study this morning too, but there's there's a whole bunch of different things. You know, maybe if if something tragic happens in our life, and, and this was this is what came up in Bible class, maybe if you're if you've ever been connected with, depending on how big your your wells, that's our national church web is, uh, you know, there is a there was a young man, a young pastor who was killed this week in a car accident. Is, Somebody ran a red light. So a 40-year-old leaves his two, two kids and wife behind. And you say, you know, that, that causes that family, it causes us to wrestle. Wrestle with God's promises when he says, hey, everything's going to work out for your good. How is that going to work out for my good? Or their good? Or you look at something like, like, the, you know, like the stock market, which has been sh- sh- been going like that for the last year. And, and you wrestle with God's promises. God, you promised You promised you're going to take care of me. You promised you're going to provide for me. How is this doing that? And so you wrestle. You wrestle with God and his promises. And sometimes it seems like God is the opponent in our life. Instead of singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, we're we're quick to sing, what a foe we have in Jesus. And God's not just pretending when he wrestles with us. Sometimes he really does oppose us. Why? Because we're living and we're acting in such a way that is according to our will, according to our sinful will. And so he's not going to let us get away with it. And he's going to fight us on it until we submit, until we succumb to his will. And then all of a sudden, when we, when we are conformed or we, we submit to his will, then, then that is how we prevail. That is how we overcome God. When we say, this is what you want, God, and then, yep, God says, all right, now I'm going to let go. In fact, that's what it says here. That's what it means in this section when it says that Jacob overcame God. It's not that Jacob was stronger than God. It's that he was holding God to his word. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me because Jacob knew that the Lord had promised to bless him. And so God had to give in to his own will. I mean, I, I said earlier that Jacob prayed the day before. He said, Lord, save me from Esau because I'm afraid. That's not how he, that's not how he ended that prayer. He went on to say, he said, but, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. But you have said. That's the value that God finds in wrestling with us. That we stop looking at our own will and we start to see, oh, but you said. But you said. But you said. He wrestles with us so that our prayers start the same way as Jacob. Which is really the second point maybe to walk away from this this wrestling match here on the river. That not only do we walk away with this, this truth that we know that God wrestles with us, but that it, it, it yields the same results. Two, namely, that God wants us to hold him to his word. When we hold him to his word, he has to give in. Right? You know, there's that passage in the Bible that says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective why it's not because we nag god so much that he just gives in it's because we hold him to his word our prayers are powerful when they're based on the powerful word of god when we pray what's happening is god wrestles with us he's increasing our faith to demand the blessings that he wants to give to us. And and, and that's what Jacob is doing here. That doesn't mean that God always answers those prayers right away on our timetable, but maybe the more that he wrestles with us, just like he, he wrestled with Jacob all night long, what's happening is that he's building his strength, he's building his faith. Increase our faith, Lord. So that we, we are holding on to every word that you say to increase our faith, to demand the blessings that you promise in our life. And one of the blessings that he had in store for Jacob is what he also has in store for us. For Jacob, what do we see there? Is that One of the blessings is that he gave him a new identity. Instead of being Jacob, he became Israel. Instead of becoming one who deceives and trips people up, he's one who wrestles with God. You know, I don't know if it's going to make the, uh, the final sermon, um, but Vicar and I have been working on his outline and his rough draft for his next sermon that's coming up. And uh, so by tonight, I'll know if it's, if it's in the final draft. Uh, but as we've been walking through that, uh, he at least was referencing, now you're going to change your sermon that you're working on this afternoon. Uh, but uh, what, what he was, he was quoting of uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, and, and 1 Corinthians talks about uh, sins, uh, a lot about sins. And it, it, it lists a whole bunch of sins, but it doesn't list them as sins. It lists it in such a way that it, it actually becomes part of our identity. Uh, so it talks about, hey, it doesn't say, hey, you're guilty of adultery. It says you're an adulterer. It doesn't say you're guilty of drunkenness. It calls you a drunkard. It doesn't say you're guilty of theft. It calls you a thief. You know, and that's sometimes how sin can work. It can, be, it can, be, it can grab us so tightly that it's not just something that we do. It becomes what we are. That's how serious and strong sin can be. But then 1 Corinthians 6 goes on this. And it says, but that is what you were. That is what you were. But you were washed. You were washed clean of all of your sins. You were sanctified. You were set apart as holy. You were justified. You were declared not guilty. Why? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's that's what Jesus, this mystery wrestler did for Jacob that night. He says, Jacob is what you were. Israel is what you are. And in a very real way, God does the same for you and for me. What we were is not what we are you know when you you think about something is as, as beautiful as baptism what happens we are born into this world as sin but what happens god changes our identity at that font as he literally puts a new name on us he doesn't change our legal name with the court systems but he puts his name on us you're my child father son and holy spirit Or very similarly, just like he did for Jacob, Jacob got the name Israel. Do you know that you also have the name Israel? This is what's one of the confusing things as you read the Bible, but in the Old Testament, Israel was a nation. They could trace their bloodline back to this guy by the name of Jacob. But you get on the other side of Jesus in the New Testament, God continues to use that name Israel, but now he says, it's not just... People who are related to to Jacob by blood. It's people who are related to Jacob by faith. To To people who cling to the blessings that God wants to give to you. You are Israel. You have the blessings. The same blessings that Jacob got in that river that night. That God increases your faith as he wrestles with you. That God wants you to continue to to hold on to him, hold him to his word. And as we hold him to his word, just like Pat this morning, we're going to get to enjoy our own penny ale where we get to see God face to face. And that... That will be the perfect picture of peace. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding,